Hello and welcome back to the Home Bible Study Podcast. Um, we have been studying in the letter to the Hebrews and we have come to a very new tra- chapter here in our study. Um, chapter 12, we've made it so this far. So um, thank the Lord for that. So we spent a lot of time in chapter 11 and I feel like that um, it was necessary because there's just so much information, so, so, so much information that we need that's pertinent to our lives and, uh, to us being successful as believers in the world that we live in and success can be measured in a lot of different ways, but the only real measure of success is from the Lord Jesus and him saying, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And that should be our objective. And here we have this letter that was written uh, so many years ago, but has such value and relevance to um, our lives today. It's uh, just amazing how that uh, the Word of God works that way. So without further ado, if you would turn to the letter to the Hebrews, I'll be reading from the King James Version. You would turn to the letter of the Hebrew to the Hebrews and starting with uh, chapter 12 and verse 1. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read and then we'll get into the, the study. Uh, Hebrews 12 verse 1. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So here we see kind of a summary of all the things that we were introduced to in chapter 11. And the writer ties all that information together with the word wherefore. So wherefore is looks back to what was said before and connects it to the things that are going to be said uh, after. So it's important for us to understand when we see the, the word wherefore to ask ourselves, why is it therefore? So um, that's what it is. It's kind of a, um, it's been described as a hinge uh, on a door that swings, you know, everything that was said before and connects to the things that are going to be said afterwards. So that's something that's important to know when you're studying the word. These little uh, things, these little um, tidbits of knowledge help us to understand and follow uh, what's being written and the purpose of why it was written. So here we see we're, we see wherefore and how it ties us to all the, the, the points that are coming ahead. It says, wherefore seeing. So the word seeing here points us to the evidence, all the evidence that has been presented prior to now about faith, what faith is, how faith has been instrumental in the lives of believers in the past, and how that faith is integral to our success in accomplishing all the things that God has purposed for us to accomplish. And we were saved for purpose. Uh, We know that, that God called us out and he has a purpose for each individual as well as a corporate body. 
And the ultimate purpose we know is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. But each one of us has been set on a path to, uh, to that end. And the, the paths that we walk are as diverse as we are. But the constant is always the Lord Jesus and faith in him. So we have this, he talk, he's talking about what we can see. We have this evidence. And when he says we, uh, he's talking about believers. All of those who have faith. Uh, everybody from Abel to Enoch, Noah to Moses to Joshua, on to the judges to David, and even unto the very first members of the church from the day of Pentecost. Um, that's the we. So we have this. This is something that we can see. And the people who can see it are those who have faith. Very important to understand that it's a very exclusive group. It's not everyone in the entire world. Not everyone can see this. Not everyone has this. This is something that we as believers can see. And that's what's important for us to understand. It says, wherefore, seeing we also... And they also connects us to every child of God, everyone who is in Christ, past, Old Testament, New Testament, future, well into the millennium. This is something that we have. This same faith is the faith that links us to the Lord Jesus. And it says, wherefore seeing, we also are compassed about. So the word here, compassed about is a, a way of saying to be surrounded. It's literally what it means to be surrounded by something. So we are, as a children of God, surrounded by this cloud of witness. So what does that mean? What is the writer trying to get across to us? What is this cloud of witness? Well, to us in the church age, there's not a lot of significance to what he's saying, right? Um, we would gravitate to the cloud of witness being the people whom he has told us about, the, the highlights, the stories that he has pulled out of the Old Testament in chapter 11 to show us how faith has operated throughout history. But for the Hebrew people who were reading this, this has a much greater and larger meaning. It's much more significant. And we as a church age would benefit from studying the whole Bible. When we understand the culture, the history of the nation Israel, we find that a lot of those principles and truths that were a part of their lives are very much a part of our lives in a very different way. Um, we have moved on to better things. But the same Jesus that dealt with them in the past is the same Jesus whom we have interaction with. We just have a better and closer uh, ministry than they did. Theirs was very structured and there's barriers between them and God and rules and regulations that they had to follow. Where we live in an age of grace where we have full access to the Lord Jesus. We can go boldly to the throne of grace. But there's still aspects of the Lord Jesus, his personality, his character, his characteristics that he communicated to them in the past that are consistent 
to how he deals with us. And that's what the writer here is alluding to when he says, with so great a cloud of witnesses. So here the writer again points us to a time in the early days of the nation Israel. The writer is making a very direct reference to something that was an integral part of the lives of the nation as they were led through the wilderness. So this is a, they, they, they're just led out of Egypt. Moses is leading these millions of people. And there is what the writer is pointing to is that time. And if you think about it, there's a correlation to uh, when we're first saved and how that we are going through a wilderness journey a journey where we are learning and growing in faith and we're learning about who the Lord Jesus is and what his purpose is for our lives and we're leaning on the promises just like they were and that was pointed out several times in chapter 11 so here we see how the writer is continuing along with that same theme and pointing back to that time when Israel as a people were in their infancy being led by Moses through the wilderness. Each tribe had a place in the camp in relation to the tabernacle. So if you can picture in your mind, the tabernacle was like just a little a box shaped uh, tent. That's all it was on the outside covered in, you know, mohair or whatever kind of animal hair that it was covered in. Uh, and it kind of hid all the beauty that was inside, but it was just a tent. And all of the uh, tribes of Levi would camp around that tabernacle as the first row. And then uh, outside, there would be three tribes on each side. There's four sides to the uh, camp. It's a cube shape, a square, and you would have three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south, three tribes to the west, three tribes to the east. So they would all be camped around the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the center of their life. It was the center of their worship. It was, the, it was positionally placed as the center of everything, right? And you had the priest around that and then the people surrounding uh, the priest. So... So it's very important to understand and picture that in your mind. So when the camp was set, the people were not, and they were not moving through the wilderness, Moses and the tribe of Levi would assemble the tabernacle because they were the priests and that's, that was their um, the role in the, in the nation. They would assemble and lead in the service. They would assemble the tabernacle and they had responsibility for that. And all the tribes would set up in camps around the tabernacle, three tribes um, on each side of it. So above the Holy of Holies. So when we have, when we think about the tabernacle, we think about you go in the, uh, there was outside the tabernacle, there was an altar, right? That's where people, the priests would bring the sacrifice and no one other than the priests would go beyond that point. But then when you enter into the tabernacle, there's the holy place and only certain Levitical priests would um, minister in that area. And there was furniture there, the table of showbread, the lampstand, 
uh, different things that were integral to uh, worship. And all of those things spoke of the Lord Jesus and his characteristics. But then beyond that, there's a veil. And beyond that was the Holy of Holies. This is where the... Um, um, high priest went in once a year to represent all of the people at, uh, you know, the great day of atonement. So no one was allowed to enter in there. No priest, no one, only the high priest that was chosen for that year could go in. And inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And that Ark represented the Lord Jesus and his mercy because up at the top of the ark of the covenant was the mercy seat and so this was a place that was considered the holy of holies and and think and and keep in your mind that this was a picture on earth of what the holy of holies was like in heaven so this was a kind of a picture so that a man would have an opportunity to interact with god and god provided this for them, provided this for the people. So the, the important thing I want to bring out, though, is that from the outside, okay, you would only see a, a tent covered in animal hair. But above the Holy of Holies, okay, above the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, there was a pillar of smoke, a cloud in the form of a pillar that went up. And everyone in the camp was able to see that cloud. Now, the significance of this cloud is that that was the presence of God in the camp. Uh, whenever they were traveling by day, they would follow that cloud. When that cloud moved, everybody got their stuff together and they started following the cloud. That's how they knew when it was time to move. That's how they knew when it was time to stop and camp. Whenever that cloud stopped, they would stop. Well, you say, well, what about nighttime when they were traveling at night? How would they see a cloud? Well, at night, it became a pillar of fire. So this is God's way of being present with his people and leading and guiding them. It's pretty amazing. And you have to think about it. God did not just use that as a tool to guide them because when they were stationary the cloud was still present right it was still there by day a cloud by night a pillar of fire so it could always be seen and so this is the way that god comforted his people with his presence and you think about it they had to have been pretty um afraid they had to be afraid they had to be worried they had to be concerned because they left they were slaves in Egypt. They had nothing. They were beaten down. They were uh, not even organized. They were just, you know, a ragtag group of people who wanted a better life. And God is leading them into that life. And he did not have to have his presence there that way in such a dramatic and demonstrative way. He could have just said, hey, follow Moses, do what he says, and that, that, that would have been enough. But God always does more. He always gives far more than just what's needed. And 
he, I, I believe that he does this to comfort us, to give us that extra encouragement and comfort we need to trust him. And that's exactly what was happening. So notice the faithfulness and the love and the compassion that God shows to his people in this. That he would strengthen their faith by having a constant ministry of his presence to them. Something that they could physically see. Something that they, everyone in the camp, no matter where they were, could look up and see this, the presence of God and be comforted. We have in our day, in our economy, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, not just in our midst, not just within sight of what we could see, but we have God the Holy Spirit in us. And this is part of the better things that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have uh, this intimate and close relationship with the presence of God in us. Um, it's quite wonderful what we have, and we have to remember that. It's important for us to keep that in mind. So what is the writer referencing here when he references this cloud well just as the cloud was a comfort and encouragement to those people struggling to grow together in the face of the many trials that they would come in contact with during their wilderness journey and being strangers in a strange place following moses as he was being led um of god and he led them um this is what the writer is saying. We also have a witness similar to this. We have the witness of all the believers that have preceded us. And we also have the comfort and the ministry of God in the witness, not only in the things that they, the people, the faith that has been worked out in other people, but also in his presence with us, guiding us, um, empowering us to be able to walk by faith. And the writer is pointing to this witness saying, we have this great cloud of witness, not only the people that God has um, led by faith and all the records and accounts we have of their lives that we looked just at a few of them in chapter 11, but we also have his presence. We also have his presence in a better way, uh, in a more intimate way than they had even back then. So just as God has so graciously provided a witness of his presence to those people, we also have a cloud of witness in the many men and women that have been led and fed and built up in faith. We have no reason not to walk in faith as it is the only proven way to accomplish the will of God. We saw that in the past with the nation Israel, and it's the same thing is true in our economy. Um, and it's a tried and true method of success in this life as a believer to walk by faith. So basically, the writer is saying, look at all the evidence, the various people, the various circumstances and all of these gain success by the same means, by faith. But why does a writer need to make such an argument for faith? Um, you would think that we who are privileged to access God, like we, we are, who have his presence with us, and we do, 
his word to guide us that we would all be champions of faith. You know, we, we're fully equipped. Uh, but the truth is that we who should be faithful are often not. Uh, faith is not a microwave meal. You know, faith is not a pill you can take and everything just works out. Faith is the energy that makes us to continue believing and trusting the Lord Jesus in spite of the opposition from the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we do live in a world where there is opposition and we do have enemies, what we, we call the enemies of faith. Um, let's, I'm going to do a brief description of each one of these enemies. Uh, the world as an enemy is a mindset, a groupthink that denies the existence of the Lord Jesus. That's what the world is. The world denies the existence of the Lord Jesus and pursues the things of this world. The world values earthly things in spite of the lack of satisfaction found in these things. The world is an amalgamation of temporary distractions. That's how you can sum up the world. Groupthink, an amalgamation of temporary distractions that do not satisfy. So now let's look at the flesh. How will we describe the flesh as an enemy of faith? Well, the flesh is the natural way of thinking. And the power of the flesh is in that it is natural. It is something that we're born with. It is our natural instinct. And so uh, the flesh is this uh, basic, it's very basic. It's concerned with satisfying itself. The flesh wants to enjoy the pleasures and comforts of life. The reality is that none of those things, those pleasures, satisfy. The flesh always wants more to the detriment of itself. That's the, the, the flesh and how it works. Uh, and then we have the enemy of faith, the devil. The devil is the ringleader who supports the world philosophy, props it up. He has created and developed a machine that provides access to anything and everything anyone could desire, while at the same time actively opposing any true worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, the enemy that, of faith that is the devil. So these are the enemies of faith, but they're not to blame for those of us who fail to walk by faith. We can't blame these enemies. These are just those who take advantage of the opportunities we who are saved give them. The responsibility to walk by faith is always on us. We have to walk by faith. It is our responsibility and we have everything we need to accomplish that. The writer points us to the one thing that must be done to have victory over faithlessness because that's really what we're talking about right now. We're not only talking about walking by faith, but how we're able to have victory over faithlessness, right? 
Um, he says, let us lay aside every weight. So now the writer transforms from a lawyer presenting evidence to a coach. Okay, he's telling us how to win. It's very important that we pay close attention. We are in a race and we want to win the prize. Okay, no one runs a race unless they want to win. That's why they work. That's why they train because they want to win. So we have to have that mindset. We want to finish the race and hear the Lord Jesus tell us, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's our motivation. Having been trained and disciplined for the race, we seek to perform well, right? So uh, we're like runners, you know, we're like the, we want to be like the runners who preceded us, the ones that were listed in uh, chapter 11. All of those who came before us who lived a life of faith and found great success, um, who were able to accomplish the things that they accomplished. They, they made it to the finish line and they heard, well done, that good and faithful servant. Now, we also saw that they didn't receive all the promises right? Because no one can receive all of the promises until we all receive them. That's what the Lord Jesus has done for us. He has placed us all in the same group, but we still have a race to run. We all have a purpose. And at the end of that race, we want to hear well done. So when we're first, was first revealed to us by God that we've been saved, we're given the gift of faith. That is something that every believer has. It's a part of salvation. And we're set on a new path. Uh, the Bible calls it a living way, right? Because uh, Jesus is the way. He is the life. Now, unfortunately, we, we carry the weight of the life that we lived prior to salvation, prior to receiving faith. And our minds must be renewed, right? That's Romans 12, 2. So this process makes us to see the many weights of sin that have been a part of our lives that we must constantly abandon. So when we're first saved, we're excited. We're uh, overwhelmed. Our, our eyes are open. Faith gives us eyes to see things that we couldn't see before. And we start on the path. And along the way, it's revealed to us all the sin that is in our lives that we we didn't even realize. Some, you know, you know right away, you know, you're very conscious of. But there's other sin that just is a part of your human nature that you weren't conscious of because you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But now that we're alive, we can see these things. And it's important for us that we walk by faith, looking to the Lord Jesus so that he can exercise these things, make us to see them and that we can put off this sin. So that tells us that we have the ability to lay aside these weights. It's not necessarily something that has to be done to us. It is something that 
we have a part in, and that is our progressive uh, sanctification. We are to be holy because he is holy. He is the pattern. And this is the process of laying aside these weights. So this can be a process and it will be met with fierce opposition. From all of the aforementioned, aforementioned uh, enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil will oppose us in this process of being holy. Uh, the world will tell you to not think about your sin. The flesh will encourage you to indulge your sin and the devil will provide for access for your sin. These are the, the trappings that uh, we face. But faith, faith is the answer. Faith is how we succeed. Faith says no to all three of those enemies. Faith says that these are weights that keep me from giving my best to my beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. Faith points us to the finish line where he is in all his glory with his everlasting arms waiting to embrace us. Uh, in him are all the eternal things. In direct opposition, faith makes us to see, desire, and take hold of the eternal things so that the world and the flesh and the devil have no place. They have no place in our lives because we are focused on those things that satisfy, those things that are eternal, those things that are associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the writer puts it so simply. He says, lay aside every weight. So don't hold on to any of the weights. Let them all go. Not lay aside some of the weight. Lay aside every weight. We have to be very thorough and complete in the laying aside of sin. And this weight is an encumbrance. That's what we have to see it. It's, it's keeping us from moving at the pace, the speed that we'd like to move to get to our Savior. You know, it's weighing us down and it's keeping us from getting to him. And we want to get to him as soon as we are able to, as quickly as possible. And these, this sin is what uh, weighs us down. So it says, lay aside every weight and the sin, which so doth, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Now the writer gets very specific here about the weights, the weights that were referenced as varied as the personalities of believers before. Um, that's the general term of the weights, the encumbrances. Uh, I'm sure that as we read the verse, as I read the verse, you know, you can think of specific weights in your life that hinder you, that hinder your growth, that separate you and keep you from your Savior, from our Savior, the Lord Jesus, that interfere with our walk of faith. I mean, you can think of that in your mind. And each person, I'm sure, has weights that are specific to them, to their walk, and to the, that challenge them, that that need to be laid aside. We all have these weights, but the writer gives us insight into the root cause of these weights, right? He gets very specific. 
What is the single source of failure for every believer? Beyond the various weights that impact our lives, what is that single source of failure? He says, the sin that so easily besets us. So there is a a sin. Not just weights, there's a specific sin that takes us off the path. That trips us up every time. What is that sin? Well, the answer is the sin of unbelief. It's almost ironic that given the great and substantial evidence, not only from scripture, but also from the Lord Jesus working in our lives, God the Holy Spirit leading us, that we would ever not believe. How is this even possible? Well, just like the nation Israel in the past, who would question and doubt God as he was right there before their eyes in the camp, we have this same failing. The evidence of his presence should be all we need to keep us looking to him in faith. But we, we sometimes allow other things to distract us and take our eyes off of him. The reality is that we take our eyes off of him and in the briefest of moments, we're wide open to sin. Sin is a vicious, merciless viper. And without the shield of faith protecting us at all times, we're doomed to yield to unbelief. One of those fiery darts that are constantly being shot at us, it makes it through. It gets past the shield, you know, because we don't have the shield up. We're distracted. And ouch. And when we get hit, we revert back to our natural mind. We take our eyes off the spiritual and we fall. The only way to um, overcome this is to walk by faith at all times. That is what the writer is trying to teach us. That's what the word of God is telling us. Jesus wants us to be successful. He wants us to, to gain the most out of this life, to, to enjoy him to the utmost. And we can Our steady progression through this life requires walking by faith. The cloud of witnesses from the word word of God is like the manna that nourishes us and strengthens our souls. We have to stay uh, centered in the word of God. The word of God must be the center of our lives. This is how we grow. This is how we are made strong and we're able to stand, having done all stand. You know, we're like the nation Israel and that we must fight the good fight. That's what Israel means, fighter for God. And we have to face the enemies armed only with compassion. That's what, that's what we're armed with, compassion, love, and hope. You know, our enemies are armed with other things, but we must be armed with the fruit of the Spirit being manifested in our lives. Uh, This is what what ministers to the world, is the Lord Jesus' compassion, his love, and the hope that's in him as displayed by our lives, how we walk. And we have to walk by faith for these things to be manifested.
Our only weapon is the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, his word. Our fight is not physical, but spiritual. You know, we have a spiritual warfare. Uh, we've been put on a path purposefully. The Lord Jesus has placed each one of us on a path. We know that the, the, what the path is by studying the word of God. That's how he ministers to us. That's how he leads and guides us through his word. We are only successful by keeping our eyes on him who is with us uh, always to point the way. His presence is always with us, just like that cloud, always with us. So how do we lay aside the weight? How do we do that? We believe him who is our example. We keep him at the center of every part of our lives. That's how we're successful. That's how anyone has ever been successful. In the past, that's how anyone will ever be successful in the future. We have to keep the Lord Jesus at the very center of our lives. We remove the weights. We remove the access. We remove ourselves from the path of failure. We separate ourselves from the things that weigh us down. That's the, that's the key. Uh, then we do something else. We remove the weight. That's the negative side. But there's a positive side. We run. It says, let us run. The beautiful thing is that Jesus adjusts his pace to accommodate where we are. Jesus will not run so far ahead that we lose sight of him. He will adjust for each person's ability to run. That's what the Lord does for us. Faith is able to keep us connected to Jesus, no matter the pace that we run. Some people you may see, wow, it seems like they're really growing and advancing and doing great things for the Lord Jesus. And you look at yourself and you may feel like, I just don't feel like I'm doing much. Well, if your eyes are on him and you're looking to him for guidance and to asking him to lead you into the, the purpose that he has for you, then you're doing everything. You're running at the pace that he wants you to run at. And that's why he doesn't tell us to look to other people and see how they're running, right? We, we can look and see how that he's working in their lives and see the faithfulness of that. But we're to look to him for the purpose that he set for us and we're to run. And he has plenty of things for each one of us to accomplish. And he'll accomplish those things in us but we have to walk by faith. So we only need to run um, at our pace. Um, we need to just get moving, you know, towards the goal. Uh, he, he's not telling us how fast to run or how slow to run. He's just saying to run. Run towards the goal, the high calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we press on. Okay, that's what he says. Just just run. Uh, my race is not your race. Yours is not mine. But we all have a course that must be completed. The Lord Jesus is intimately concerned with how you run, 
not at what speed you run. Run believing in full faith. Our lives are a story being written, a story of belief and faith. As we live our lives purposely, we become a part of this cloud of witness. We are a testimony of the faith of God in Christ. This is our destiny. That's the race that we're to run. So let us run. And it says, let us run with patience. So this race is a marathon, right? That's where we're running. We're in it for the long haul. Um, it requires endurance. And endurance and patience are very closely related. We must have the resolve to run the long distance, right? That's, we have to have a, a settled resolve that we'll lay aside every weight and we're going to run and we're going to keep running and we're going to keep going because what's before us is far better than anything that could distract us from our race. We're in it for the long haul. Leaning on faith, like Jacob, like we learned about in chapter 11, how he, he leaned on his staff. We lean on faith, right? And we run. We have to learn to progressively uh, see the goodness and trustworthiness of the Lord Jesus. As we run, as we move through this life, we're going to progressively learn more of the goodness and the trustworthiness of the Lord Jesus. And it's going to make us stronger and we're going to grow by it. And we're going to become uh, a part of this cloud of witnesses. Uh, this is a process, right? This, this is a process. Uh, the Lord knows this and he's going to work this out. He says, work your salvation outwardly. And he's going to work this out in us. Uh, we have a responsibility um, to all in, the, in this process. You know, we have to lay aside the weight. He has provided everything that we need. We have to lay aside the weight. We have to keep our eyes on him. This process requires patience. Those who wax valiant that we learned about in chapter 11 and worked valiant in, in fight, they escape peril. Those who were sawed asunder, uh, they all learned patience. They were able to face and accomplish those things through the patience that they learned through walking by faith. The victory of faith is not what happens at the end of your life, but the things that happen during your life. The victory of faith is not what happens at the end of your life, at the end of the race, but the things that occur during your life, during the race. That's where the victory is. So let us run with patience the race set before us. Each of us has a path set before us. Our testimony of faith is in how we live in the face of opposition. When we walk by faith, we glorify the Lord Jesus and stop the mouths of the accusers. Our victory is in living in a way that shows plainly our love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has nothing to prove. He has nothing to prove to anyone. He's done everything 
to show his great love in which he loves us. A life of faith is our opportunity to show our love for him. So let us run with patience, knowing that we're making a loud and bold statement of love for him. Faith is the key to love and hope. Uh, and love and hope empowers us. Uh, so what is your hope? You know, what, what is the thing that you hope for most? Well, for me, it's to enjoy the presence of the Lord Jesus unencumbered by sin. That is what encourages me. And that is what I look forward to the most about uh, being with him. When, when I'm finished with this, this race, uh, that's what I desire the most. So let us run um, is an appeal of the writer to us because the writer knows how much we have to gain. Even if you don't understand or know how much you have to gain, just know that the way that you live your life is glorifying the Lord Jesus and it pleases him. And for no other reason, run the race. Let's close. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace that has called us out and made us a part of this family of faith. Father, I pray that you would bless this lesson, that you would send it to all who need it, that each of us who um, enjoy your word would um, praise you for the instruction that you have caused the things in our lives to prepare us to receive your word in a way that is very special. And I pray, Father, that you'd be glorified in it all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.